Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-J-A-N-T. Also, you can hit us up here at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant where you can send messages to the chat room. We'll chat it up. We'll talk it up. We'll have a good old time. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Indianapolis Colts defensive end Corey Redding and his Colts have a big game coming up against the undefeated Seattle Seahawks. They're coming to Indy. Colts, Seahawks, 3-0 Seahawks, 4-0 Seahawks, excuse me, 3-1 Colts. It's going to be a big-time battle in Indy. We're going to talk to Corey about this big football game coming up. Also, Tampa Bay Buccaneers linebacker Jonathan Concias will be joining us. Jonathan has a big watch party coming up October 14th in Tampa, and we're going to talk to him. A lot of turmoil on Tampa Bay right now. They just released their quarterback, Josh Freeman. A lot of things going on in Tampa. They released a few players before that. Losing a lot of close games. Just a lot of turmoil in Tampa. We're going to talk to Jonathan about all that and more. And also we're going to be joined by actor Atif Lanier. Atif has, uh, he's going to be a part of The Best Man Holiday, which is coming out. November 15th, a big-time movie. You remember many years ago, the original Best Man, big-time movie. Uh, we're going to talk to Atif about that movie and talk to Atif about some of the great things he has going on outside of that particular movie. We're going to talk to Atif. He's a Philly guy. So we're going to talk to Atif about the Philadelphia Eagles, get his take on the Eagles, who are at this point one in three. Big football game coming up against the New York Giants. Think about it with the Philadelphia Eagles, if they win this game, and the Cowboys who play the Denver Broncos, they're probably going to lose that game. Cowboys will be 2-3, and three, the Eagles will be 2-3, and, three, and they'll be tied for first place in the NFC East. After all, they've been through talking about the Philadelphia Eagles. But here's the thing, the NFC East is not what it used to be. It's the NFC least at this point, and, and the Eagles have an opportunity. I mean, the Giants, <clears throat> heck, if the Giants win tomorrow, Cowboys lose, which I expect them to do to the Denver Broncos. Giants win tomorrow. The Cowboys lose. The Giants at 1-4 will be one game out of first place. That's how bad the NFC East is at this point of the season. It could change. It could change. RG3, maybe he'll get his legs under him. The Giants, maybe they'll turn things around. And we've seen the Giants turn things around before. Who knows? Maybe the Eagles, their defense will get better. And, and the Cowboys, maybe Romo will continue to play 
at the $50 million level. He hasn't at this point, but maybe he'll get to that, and maybe their defense will get a little better, and maybe, who knows, the Cowboys will start playing a little better football moving forward. But at this point, it looks like the NFC East is the worst division in football. It is, at this point, the worst division in football. and looks like, moving forward, it will continue to be the worst division in football. That's just the reality of the situation. And you look at it, if the Eagles win tomorrow, even after being one and three, if they win tomorrow, they're two and three. Again, the Cowboys probably lose to the Broncos. They're two and three, and the Eagles are tied for first place in the NFC East. If they win tomorrow and the Cowboys lose to the Broncos, which is which are very probable things, and like I said before, even more of a crazy scenario: if the Giants win, they're one and four. Eagles one and four. And the Cowboys, they lose. The Giants and Eagles both will still be one game out of first place in the NFC East. And they still have to play the Cowboys. The Eagles have to play the Cowboys two times. And the Giants have to play the Cowboys one more time. So it's crazy. It's crazy. It's still early. Still a lot of football to be played. But the NFC East at this point looks like a very, very bad division. Very bad. But I look at the game tomorrow, the Colts and the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, that's going to be a big-time Football game, two two of the better defenses in football right now, and then you look at the, this, these two teams and two of the better young quarterbacks in football right now. I mean, these teams these teams have, are, are set seemingly at the quarterback position with Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck. Funny thing about is the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, on the road, they're a much different football team, and you know, uh, throughout the course of that game against the. Uh, the, the Texans last week, when they were down at halftime and they were able to make that big time comeback, I was, you know, I was, I was saying to myself, "Wow, you know, Seattle's they're, they're game, they're game changers, they're game breakers, and they're big time at home. You put them on the road, and they become the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, that's what it seems when you look at the Seattle Seahawks. And granted, at this point, they won two times on the road. Tough game in Carolina. Again, didn't play their best football. Won twelve to seven." Tough game against the Houston Texans. Again, did not play their best football, but they found a way to get it done in overtime. Russell Wilson, he's tough. He's a tough, hard-nosed quarterback. He's tough, and he gets it done. He finds a way to get it done. He's got it done for the Seattle Seahawks. It's going to be a big challenge for them going up against the Indianapolis Colts, the Colts team again. We all talk about the Colts, and we think Andrew Luck. But defensively, this team is bringing it. They're bringing it. Shut down San Francisco two weeks ago. And then this past week did the same exact thing to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, so, you know, they're going to have a test against Russell Wilson, against Marshawn Lynch, Beast Mode, and the Seattle Seahawks. But this defense to this point has proven to be big time. When we come back, we're going to be joined by defensive end Corey Redding of the Indianapolis Colts. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything when the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you. you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. 
actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Rocky. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. And again, big game tomorrow in Indy. The Colts and the Seattle Seahawks. Two very good football teams, two teams at the top of their divisions, two teams coming off impressive victories. And we're going to bring in a guy who was a part of that impressive victory. Let's bring him in now, defensive end for the Indianapolis Colts, Corey Redding. Corey, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. And, and Corey, let's get right down to it. Another impressive performance by you guys both sides of the ball as you beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 37-3. to Talk about your team's performance. You know, it was a great defensive, great team performance. Um, you know, all three phases of the game, you know, were clicking at a high level. You know, guys were, you know, confident and just and just out there making plays. You know, every, every week you want to get better and not get worse. You want to take right. steps forward and not backwards. And so, you know, as we progress throughout the season, you know, it's 17 of them, you know, and and each week matters like crazy. And so you just want right. to continue to keep taking positive steps. And, and that's what we're doing as a team, man. And uh, we're, just, we're just playing good ball right now and doing some good things. Offensively, you guys got off to kind of a slow start in that particular game, and you guys were coming off an impressive performance against the 49ers two weeks ago. What did you guys do to kind of guard against that letdown going against the Jacksonville Jaguars? The biggest thing is just to keep holding each other accountable. And uh, and that's why I love this game and, you know, and everything that it brings to it because it's truly an ultimate team sport. You know, and even though our offense was struggling, you know, got to a, you know, got up to a slow start, that's why it's called team. They relied on the special teams and the defense to hold them, hold them up until they were able to get the wheels going, so to speak. And so, you know, we got each other's back. No matter what, we keep playing. We don't judge. We don't point figures and say, look, we're doing something and they're not. It's not about that. It's about us. It's all of us. And if they're coming out slow, the defense is going to hold it back until they get going, and, and vice versa. You know, we're coming out slow. Offense got to go out there and have our back. That's truly an ultimate team sport, and that's why uh, we're doing so much good things right now because each guy holds each other accountable, and we got each other's back. And coming into this game, Jaguars running back Maurice Jones-Drew has had some success against you guys averaging over 100 yards against you guys. What made you guys so effective against Jones-Drew this time around? The biggest thing is all the emphasis we put into the offseason, adding the different pieces we need to make this defense what we want it to be. You know, run stopping up front, you know, getting on that passer, you know, uh, you know, from the second level and defending every blade of grass in the back end. When the ball is in the air, it's your ball. So adding the pieces in the offseason, helped us to where we're at today. And, um, you know, we wanted to stop the run. We want to have a solid front seven. And, uh, and that's what we're doing. Everybody's standing their gaps. 
Uh, they're not being nosy, jumping into another guy's gap. They're holding their ground and uh, and taking on the double teams when they need them and, and, and getting off a single block and making plays when they need to. So that's what we're doing, man. Everybody's playing assignment football, and as long as we continue to do that, good things will happen. And it shows in your play over the past two games on giving up 10 points and a total of 458 total yards. I mean, that's an impressive defensive run for you guys at this point of the season. And everybody – you know, you talk about the Colts, you usually don't talk about the Colts' defense. And, and as you said, the Colts' defense has stepped up to this point of the season. Well, that's the biggest thing is, um, you know, improving on all three phases of the game. And one of the biggest emphasis, like I said, is to get the pieces in here to bring that tough mentality, that defensive 3-4 mindset where we're going to stop the run no matter what. And And we're doing some good things right now. So guys just you know, continue to go back to work. We keep our head down. You know, we keep grinding, and uh, we just keep going out there and just playing. We get the call and we execute. That's the biggest thing. We're talking to Colts defensive end Corey Redding. And, Corey, how about your play at this point? I mean, you had a sack last week against the Jaguars. You have one and a half sacks after four games. At this point of the season, are you happy with your play? You're never happy. You're never satisfied. You know, you're. I'm just. I'm just pleased with the progress that I'm able to still go out and play at a high level, you know, with the guys that contribute to the team in any way I can, but you never get satisfied. You always stay hungry. Yes, of course, you want more tackles, and of course, you want more sacks. But at the end of the day, it's getting your job done and doing what I'm supposed to do when, you know, when the defensive play is called. And as long as that happens, I don't care if I get no sacks. As long as I'm eating up two guys every play or, you know, I'm keeping a linebacker free so he can make plays, I'm doing my job and I'm helping my team win. Let's talk about your quarterback now, Andrew Luck, in his second year, picking up where he left off as a rookie. I heard Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Doug Baldwin say that he believes Andrew Luck could be the best ever when it's all said and done. Can you see that? Oh, ain't no question. Um, I believe everybody in the NFL has seen that last year, what the kid had done, and uh, and what he's continuing to do this year. You know, he's – Definitely, um, you know, in my mind, is is one of the future elite quarterbacks, um, you know, and, 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 and he's going to be in that category for years to come. The kid is smart. He's intelligent. Great team player. Super competitive, man. And um, you would want this guy on your roster. I don't care who you play for. So I'm just, um, you know, happy and delighted to have him as a teammate, uh, to see him grow as a young pro and uh, continue to go out there and lead the offense the way he does and, um and I make plays. Is he the best quarterback you played with? Uh, you know what I, you know, in my career, um, yeah, I would have to say so. Yeah, you know, it's um, and I had a good one in Baltimore. You know, Joe Flacco yeah. did some great things, and uh, you know, he played well, and and um, you know, Luck is doing the same thing. So for the last two teams I've been on, uh, you know, I have some I have some uh, real fine quarterbacks. Now, Corey, you have the undefeated Seahawks coming to town. The team coming off a uh, come, be- come from behind victory, excuse me, against the Houston Texans in overtime. I-, I look at the Seahawks, and you know, of course, you have Russell Wilson. But to me, the key to them is stopping their run game, Marshawn Lynch. Is that you guys' number one mission coming into this game? That's every single week. <laughs> That'll be a broken rec- <laughs> uh, a broken record if you ask me that for the next 11 weeks, man. Um, <laughs> that's every that's every week. There's always to stop the run. You have to stop the run no matter what. And, uh, and as long as you do that, 
try to make them one-dimensional, then you're able to, to open up your playbook, so to speak, on the defense side of the ball to, to, to disguise and do some different things and keep the offense a little off balance. If you're unable to do that, then it's just going to be an easy day for them. They're just going to keep pounding the rock, pounding the rock, and just, you know, running it left and right and up the middle. You know, it's never a fun day for anybody to play defensive ball. So uh, you got to go out there with the tough mentality that in the first half, establish uh, a good solid front to stop the run. And uh, so the second half, you can do what you want to do. Now they have a good quarterback in Seattle, Russell Wilson. What do you feel like you need to do to contain him? <laughs> uh, you know, the biggest thing is is everybody just rushing with the uh, with the emphasis on staying in your wrestling. You know, never you see color in front of you. You know, don't run behind the same guy. You know, my teammates in front of me, I'm not gonna, you know, pursue Russell following another jersey of mine. You know, I gotta I gotta break off and branch off and kind of contain corral sort of keep him in a well, so to speak. Um, you know, and this touch to do the kid has some like that unbelievable athleticism and he can throw the ball down the field like a you know, with the best of them. So uh you just have to keep lane into lane integrity when you're rushing the quarterback. Emphasis on if you feel like you're getting pushed outside the pocket, turn around and get back in the middle. Uh try to keep him in there as long as possible. And if you do contain, then we have to plaster. We have to run, as our coaches say, with our hair on fire and try to get him down. You know, so that's that's the biggest thing. Now, I look at you guys, and you had that big-time performance against the 49ers. You went into San Francisco and got the W there, but you did it in a very impressive way. I saw that game as almost a statement game for you guys. Do you look at this game almost as another statement game to show the league that the Colts are for real? You know what, each week, <laughs> Each week we know we're going to get our best from everybody. It's the NFL. We're all pros. Um, and, you know, everybody is going to give it their best game. You know what? But you have to not get too high in this game and not get too low. Try to stay at an even kill no matter what. Approach each game like it's your last and approach each game like it's the biggest game of the year. You know, and that's how we try to keep our mindset in our locker room. You know, the biggest game – you know, we get a win. You know, a few weeks ago, yeah, that was good. You know, last week, everybody would probably pin us to win it or whatever and, and, and not give Jaguars a chance. And, you know, we won in there and did that. No matter what, if it's a good team or a bad team, depending on whoever rates them in the world, uh, we go out there and we play our game. We play and worry about us. Keep at a steady, even kill, not get too high, not get too low, but just go out there and just execute our jobs and make plays. We're talking to Colts defensive end Corey Redding. And last year, you guys got a taste of the playoffs. This year, many are expecting you guys to make the playoffs and possibly go further. All in all, do you feel like this is a better team than a year ago? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, like I said before, you always want to get better and not worse. So last year was just a good start under the Chuck Pagano era and the coach staff and the players of what we can do. Um, you know, and just continue to keep building and adding pieces. Uh, you always want to do better than what you did the year before. Last year, we was 11-5. This year, that's the platform for us to start from. You know, anything less than that is is, is uncivilized, you know. So uh, we want to go out there and just, and uh, you know, give it our best. And and our benchmark from last year was 11-5, so that's our goals to set, you know, and, 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 and try to be better than that and uh, try to get in the dance. And, you know, once you get in the dance, anything can happen. Definitely. Now, Corey, your college coach, Mac Brown, under a little fire at Texas, 
A lot of people, including Texas great Earl Campbell, is calling for him to step down. All in all, your thoughts on what's going on with Texas? You know, it's always tough to see, um, you know, a good friend of mine. You know, he's more than just a coach. He's a friend of mine. You know, go through adversity. But um, just like I know, you know, Coach, and uh, and he knows me, we're both faced with adversity. We're going to give us our best shot, you know, and uh, we're going to back down from a challenge. And, and, and I'm pretty sure Mac is going to go back to the same status quo, you know, get the kids ready every week, you know, and uh, and prepare them to go out there and win. Um, you know, and that's just, you know, that's what it is, man. Um, you know, I'm always in support of Coach Brown and what he does. And, you know, he's done so much for the university, so much for the teams. And, um, you know, it may not be going the way we all want it to be. Heck, I want it to be undefeated. You know, that's what it is. But right. um, it's tough. You know, it's tough to win. You know, every single week if, if uh, you're not really on, you know. And uh, it's, it's I don't care who you are, high school, Pop Warner, college, you know, or, or in the pros. It's tough to win every single week and week in and week out, you know. And, um, you know, even set for a long time, do a lot of great things. You know, it can get a little discouraging from fans looking on the outside here. But, right. man, the man has done great things for the university, great things for the kids, and, uh, and I'm still back in the 100%. And then I know he's going to get them prepared to play against OU this weekend. I'm looking for a good game. Now, Corey, you're doing some big things off the field with the Corey Redding Foundation. Tell us about it. Oh, man, we've, we're doing some unbelievable things, man. We're changing lives in every city we uh Every city we can, you know, I'm, I um, I get 15 tickets to to kids out of inner inner city school here in Indianapolis, Lighthouse Academy, um, and the biggest deal with that program is just to challenge them to be great student people, you know, great students, great people, and, uh, and challenge them to be better every single day. And in return, they get tickets to go to the game. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving is coming around, so we do things in the community for that. Uh, around Christmas, we help out with the Ronnie McDonald House and another charitable uh, entities to, you know, give them a Christmas where they probably won't have the financial means to, to give their right. kids, uh, you know, a Christmas. Um, you know, we have football camps in Houston, soon to be in Austin. We're just doing things, man, that just help the lives of people and of kids because, um, you know, it, without our future, man, if, if we don't invest in them, <laughs> our world will be lost. You know, so many, yeah. so many people, you know, the gangs are going after them so hard. You know, why can't we as the people, parents and fathers and, and, and you know, sports figures or whatever, go after our kids even harder and bring them to do them, have them do good things, you know, instead of bad things. So that's what I try to do. Now, where can we find information about some of the great things going on with the Corey Redding Foundation? Uh, you can find information at CoreyReddingFoundation.org. That's CoreyReddingFoundation.org. Okay. So, fans, make sure you support some of the great things Corey Redding is doing, CoreyReddingFoundation.org, doing big-time things in the community. Corey, I know you're on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? You can connect with me at CRED90, CRED90. Sounds good. Corey, a pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care. Corey Redding, defensive end, Indianapolis Colts. Again, they got a big-time game coming up against the Seattle Seahawks. That's going to be an interesting football game. And, you know, from time to time, you like to, as teams, and I know they like to make statements. You know, going into San Francisco, to me, 
that was a statement type of football game. That was a statement type of football game. A statement type of game. And I look at that, and I look at that particular football game, you know, and I say, wow, you know, they, I didn't expect them to beat the 49ers. I really did. I really did not expect that to happen. I really did not expect that to happen. I didn't expect them to go in there and be as impressive as they were. I didn't expect them to go in there and, and you know, dominate the 49ers. I mean, physically dominate the 49ers. I mean, we don't think about the Colts in the way that we think about the 49ers in terms of physicality. We we don't. We don't. We don't think about it in that way. We just don't. And I look at the Colts and the Seahawks and, and, and how, you know, the Seahawks are a much different team on the road. They really are. They're a different football team on the road. But they're a big-time football team. And they found ways to get it done on the road. Don't play their best ball, but they found ways to get it done. It happened. It's happened for them against the Carolina Panthers. It's happened for them against the Texans where, you know, they were they were getting dominated by the Texans. And then they were able to come on back and, and and in a lot of ways, steal that football game. They stole that game. They stole that game. They stole that game. They stole that game. And you got to give them credit. Got to give them a lot of credit. But they got a big one tomorrow. Seattle, Colts, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be a big-time football game. Probably one of the games of the week. Just looking... At the schedules, probably the game of the week. It is the game of the week. So about two of the better team, two of the better teams in football. Of course, you got the Patriots going to Cincinnati. That's going to be big. But I think this game is bigger. Definitely think this game is bigger. Texans going to the Forty ers but this game I believe is bigger. This is big. Two of the best teams in their division right now. Two of the best teams in their conference right now. Two teams that, you know, the way the Colts are playing on the defensive end of the football, you, you, you may have to think about two teams that possibly could be in contention for a Super Bowl run. Possibly. I mean, they, they have one thing that, that you need to win a Super Bowl and get to a Super Bowl. That is quarterback play. That is quarterback play. That's quarterback play. They have that. They have that. Quarterback play. And that's what they have. And that's important. You need quarterback play if you want to be successful in this league. You need quarterback play. Defense will win championships, and these teams have defense. Quarterbacks win championships as well. And that's what these two teams have. That, those type of things, those ingredients. 
and those ingredients can be successful and can help your team become a very successful football team. Those are important ingredients for success. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean see anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't true. mean anything. I was, trying to throw uh, you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can kept marry women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Robbie. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. Making it fun, as we always do, as we always try to do. We try to make it fun. We try to talk sports and have fun doing it. That's our motto in and around this, this, this facility, this place. Talking sports, having fun doing it, having a good old, good old time. I want to stick. I, I want to stay in football now, but I want to go. Matt Flynn. I, I, I want to talk about Matt Flynn for a second here. I mean, Matt Flynn. Matt Flynn. This guy. You saw him last week against the 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 uh, the Redskins. Did you see him last week against the Redskins? Did you see his performance against the Redskins? Did you see how? He did not have any sense of a pocket presence, any sense of pocket awareness. I mean, this guy was awful. He didn't look like an NFL quarterback. He didn't look like he knew what he was doing. He just didn't. He was awful. Granted, he was 21 for 32, 227 yards, but did you see his pocket presence? I mean, that was his opportunity to, to take over that job. That was his opportunity to prove to a lot of people that I should have gotten the money that I got. Ten, and the money that he got was a $10 million signing bonus. $10 million signing bonus. Three years, $26 million. $10 million guaranteed. $10 million guaranteed for Matt Flynn three years ago. $10 million guaranteed. $10 million. And this was all on the strength of his big-time performance against the Detroit Lions, where in that particular ball game, in that particular ball game, <laughs> he was sensational against the Lions at the end of the 2011 uh, regular season. He was sensational. 480 yards and six touchdowns. Well, that is, those 480 yards and those six touchdowns got him Three years, $26 million, $10 million in guarantees. So when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, he's probably going to walk away with close to $14 million for his work over the past couple of seasons. And his work has been limited to holding a clipboard for 
A, Russell Wilson, and now Terrell Pryor. There's, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with holding the clipboard for Russell Wilson, especially the way he is, he's played over the, few, the past few years. Nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. There's a little shame in holding the clipboard for Terrell Pryor at this point in Terrell Pryor's career. There, There is a little shame, I would think, in holding the clipboard for Terrell Pryor. I mean, and I'm not saying Terrell Pryor's a bum, but I, what I'm saying is Terrell Pryor has a long way to go. He has, and he has a long way to go. He has, he has some ability, has some running ability. He has some way, but he has ways to go. And it's funny. It's funny. When Matt Flynn was signed in the offseason back in 2012, Doug Baldwin, then Seahawks wide receiver, tweeted this. Just got off the phone with Matt Flynn. He's ready to win. Those were the words of Doug Baldwin. That's, that's what he tweeted. That's what he tweeted. And he was willing to give up his number 15 jersey to Matt Flynn. That's what it, Doug Baldwin tweeted a few years ago when Matt Flynn came to town. Matt Flynn could not beat out Russell Wilson, could not beat out Terrell Pryor. Could not beat out Russell Wilson or Terrell Pryor. That's not good. That's bad. That is bad. And I look at Matt Flynn and I compare him to Kevin Cobb. Kevin Cobb on injured reserve for the Buffalo Bills, having concussion issues. He's a guy... He's a guy that made a lot of money off a few appearances. I mean, he made a lot of money essentially off potential and the potential that he could be your franchise quarterback or at least a good quarterback in this league. I mean, you look at 2010, that's when McNabb was traded, Donovan McNabb was traded. And Monday morning quarterback – Peter King's website has a, has a good article about these two, Cobb and, and, and Matt Flynn. And I was thinking about Kevin Cobb and Matt Flynn. I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about that. And, and when I was thinking about that and I was looking at that, I was saying, you know what? Cobb, $10 million signing bonus. And he got that based off his potential. And, you know, McNabb was being traded, so the Eagles anointed Kevin Cobb. They said, Kevin Cobb, you're going to be our starter. You're going to be our guy. We had, you know, he was entering his final year of the rookie contract. They said, you know what, here's a new deal, $10 million signing bonus for you. One-year extension, $10 million signing bonus. Then, then, he came out, Kevin Cobb, and first game against the Green Bay Packers, suffers a concussion. And then Michael Vick comes in. And then Michael Vick had a tremendous 2010 season. And Michael Vick 
was big time for the Philadelphia Eagles. And at that point, Kevin Cobb pretty much became useless for the Eagles. But he was able to help the team in other ways. So they traded him away. They, he helped them because they were able to get pieces for him. Ultimately, they got a second-round pick, and they also got Dominic rogers Cromarty for Kevin Cobb as they sent him along to the Cardinals. And sending him along to the Cardinals, he got himself a five-year, $63 million contract extension. And getting that extension, and getting that extension, he received a $10 million signing bonus. $10 million for Kevin Cobb. $10 million. And, you know, he continued to make a lot more money for the Cardinals. 2012, he only played in six games. He only played in six games. And he actually, you know, many you remember that he lost the competition to John Skelton. And I look at this team, I look at the Cardinals, I look at their situation as a football team, and I look at them, and they were desperate. When you're desperate, you do desperate things. Desperate people do desperate things. The Cardinals were desperate for a quarterback, so they reached out to Kevin Cobb. And they gave him a lot of money. They gave him a lot of money. And then ultimately, ultimately, they were done with Cobb after 2012, meaning the Cardinals. He signed with the Bills. And, oh, by the way, he got a million-dollar signing bonus. And, oh, by the way, he suffered a concussion in preseason. Now he's on injured reserve. Many believe he never will play again. All in all, here, here's the total for Kevin Cobb over the past two over the past few years. Here's the total for Kevin Cobb, a guy who's done essentially nothing in the National Football League, nothing. He's made he's made forty seven million dollars. $47 million. That's all about being in the right situation at the right time. Right situation, right time. Right situations, right time. And that's what it was about. Right situation, right time. $47 million for Kevin Cobb. Came in with the Eagles, got in at the right time. They were moving on from Donovan McNabb. They felt like Cobb was the next thing. They gave him money because they thought he was the next thing. NFL, they pay for a potential a lot. When we pay as a whole, a lot of people pay a lot of money for a potential. A lot of people pay a lot of money for potential. $47 million. $47 million for Kevin Cobb. Think about it. Think about it. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Think about it. Six years, 
2007 he came in, $47 million for a guy who has done absolutely nothing in the National Football League. Kevin Cobb has done nothing in the National Football League. $47 million does not get you what you think it could get you nowadays. It just can't get you. It doesn't get you what you think it could get you nowadays. $47 million. And this is a guy, career, career, 34 games played, career, 34 games played, 5,000 total yards, 28 touchdowns, oh, by the way, 25 interceptions, 16 fumbles, a career quarterback rating of 78.9. Six seasons for Cobb, and this is what we got. But he did get $47 million. I feel bad for Kevin Cobb. I feel bad for Kevin Cobb, and I really do, because I feel like, you know what, this is a guy who, I mean, obviously he's had troubles staying healthy. He's had a lot of trouble staying healthy, a lot of trouble. A lot of issues staying healthy. A lot of issues staying healthy. And you feel bad for him because his career is probably over. With the concussions and everything, you feel bad. I feel bad for him. Matt Flynn, same deal. Feel bad for him. He came to Seattle with the thought of being their quarterback. He came to Seattle with the thought with the thought of being the starter. He didn't expect Russell Wilson to come on in there and take the job. He didn't expect it. He didn't expect it. He didn't expect Russell Wilson to take the to to go in there and ultimately take the job and take control. He didn't expect that. But he, he, he took control. He took control, meaning Russell Wilson. He went into Seattle and said, this is my job. He took it. He had success. He had success. Russell Wilson took over that job and had success. Terrell Pryor has taken over for the Raiders. Minimal success. But the bottom line is this. You've given up so much money for Matt Flynn. You've given up draft picks for Matt Flynn. The Raiders given up draft picks for Matt Flynn. The Raiders paying him, giving him a little more money. And all for essentially nothing because Kevin Cobb, in a lot of ways, has really stolen money 
He's like a thief in the night. He stole a lot of money. A lot of money. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I can't blame him at all. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Don't hate the player. Don't hate the game. Stole some money. Stole some money. And I look at it, and I say to myself, what a country. What a country we live in, America, where you can get $47 million, only throw for a career, 5,000 yards, only throw 28 interceptions, 28 touchdowns to 25 interceptions, and you find a way to make a lot of money in this league. Hey, if people are willing to pay it, if your people are willing to pay it, if owners are willing to pay it, then why not? Why not? If the owners are willing to pay it, why not? But I think Kevin Cobb and Matt Flynn are cautionary tales of being careful. Be careful. Be careful over one game. Be careful over a short and small sample size. Be careful. But it's also it's a cautionary, t- cautionary tale and, and, and being careful and being smart and being due diligent and, and being wise with your money. But it's also, for all of us out here, it's, a, it's not a lesson necessarily a lesson, but for all of us out here, it's about putting ourselves in position to get the most money as possible. For us, all of us out here, it's about giving us an opportunity to put yourself in position to have success and use your leverage. Use your leverage. Use your leverage. Use your leverage. And that's important. Use your leverage. And that's what Kevin Cobb did. And that's what Matt Flynn did. The reality is in the National Football League, there are only so many good quarterbacks out here. Only so many. And because of it, when you have an opportunity, when you have an opportunity you got to seize it. you got to take advantage of it. It's killing – I'm sure it's killing Kevin Cobb that he may never play again because of concussions, and that's a tough pill to swallow. I'm sure it's killing Matt Flynn that he's unable to, to beat out Terrell Pryor and Russell Wilson over the past two seasons. But it's probably killing him all the way to the bank as those guys have made a lot of money over the past two seasons, over the past few seasons. So much money made by these guys, so little production. So much money, so little production. Kevin Cobb, Matt Flynn. Can you believe it? The amount of money these guys have made over the years is probably wants to make you puke. It probably wants to make you puke. And speaking of something that may want to make you puke, 
Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez. A-Rod. Can't get rid of him. You thought 211-game suspension. You thought after finding out that he has a connection to Tony Bosch, you thought that it was over. You thought that we would hear the land. We wouldn't hear from Alex Rodriguez. You thought we were, he was done. 211-game suspension. You thought it was over for A-Rod. But A-Rod isn't going out like that. He's just not. He's not that type of guy. He's going to fight to the end. And to prove that he's going to fight to the end, first off, he decided, I'm going to appeal this thing. I'm going to appeal. And that's what he did. He appealed it. And at this point, he's fighting that 211-game suspension. Now he's taking it to the courts. He's taking it to the courts. He filed a lawsuit, New York State Supreme Court. He alleges, MLB, Bud Selig, that they, quote, improperly marshal evidence that they hope to use to destroy the reputation and career of Alex Rodriguez. They basically are saying this is a witch hunt. We want to get rid of Alex Rodriguez. That's what Rodriguez believes. It's a witch hunt to rid the sport of Alex Rodriguez. I'm sure. I'm sure the Yankees have buyer's remorse. They probably feel like the Cardinals and the and the Seahawks and the Raiders. The way they felt when they signed Kevin Cobb and Matt Flynn. Buyer's remorse. And he filed another lawsuit against the Yan- against the Yankee physician, team physician, the team doctor, for malpractice. He believes that he misdiagnosed his hip injury. So you look at it. You look at it. Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez. You knew he was just going to crawl up and go away. And I don't blame him. He is fighting for his career. He's fighting for his career. 211 games is a long time. Is a long time. And at his age, he doesn't have a long time. 38 years old, he doesn't have a long time. He doesn't have a long time to mess around, Alex Rodriguez. So you knew he was going to fight this to the finish. You knew he was going to fight this to the end. You knew he was going to do what he had to do to keep on playing and to protect his money. A lot of money could be lost. If he's suspended, a lot of money. He's got to protect his wallet. I don't blame him for protecting his wallet. I don't. I don't blame him for fighting. He has nothing to lose. If you were Alex Rodriguez, If you were Alex Rodriguez, 
if you were Alex Rodriguez, wouldn't you fight? If you had nothing to lose, wouldn't you fight? It seems that there's a lot of smoke here, and when it when there's a lot of smoke, there tends to be some fire. Do I think Alex Rodriguez is a is a well, I know he's a, a steroid cheat because he admitted to it many years ago. But has he revisited that? Is he still cheating? Probably. Probably has. It's a lot of smoke here. A lot of smoke. And everybody rolled over. Braun rolled over. Everybody rolled over except, except for A-Rod. Everybody decided to leave it alone except for Alex Rodriguez. A-Rod. A-Rod continues to fight, continues to soldier on, continues to save his career. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I think most of us, if we were put in the position of Alex Rodriguez, would probably continue to fight. Even if you're guilty, you probably would continue to fight. Some would say, you know what? This is an opportunity to make right. This is an opportunity. You know, he wants his money, too. But this is an opportunity to make right. And to say, you know, to admit to things and move on. He doesn't want to do that. doesn't want to do that. Here are some of his allegations. MLB paid Anthony Bosch, the founder of Biogenesis, where A-Rod may have got some illegal PEDs from. Well, he's contending that Major League Baseball paid him $5 million for his cooperation. He's contending that. He's also saying that Major League Baseball has violated the terms of the confidentiality agreement between the parties, leaking information, damaging to Rodriguez, to several news outlets. So he's saying, you know what? MLB leaked information about Alex Rodriguez. He's also saying MLB investigators bribed and intimidated witnesses. This is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. I don't know. Maybe MLB did those things. Maybe they didn't. But here's the thing. Here's the bottom line. I don't really care about all of that. really don't care about the particulars of the case. What I do care about, I think this is Alex Rodriguez's final stand. He's going to go out in a blaze of glory. He's not going to lose. Well, at least lose without a fight. He's not going to lose without a fight. He may still go down, or, or, or maybe, you know, it'll be a, a situation where they negotiate something. Maybe it'll reduce the suspension. Maybe. Maybe it'll turn into 65 games like Ryan Bronze. Maybe. But A-Rod's not rolling over here. He's going to fight this to the end. And I think if we all looked ourselves in the mirror, we would probably do the same thing. 
we probably would do the same thing. Alex Rodriguez, fighting to the end, soldiering on, trying to prove his innocence, telling the world that Major League Baseball is out to get me. It's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. But some would say the witches wouldn't come if you didn't do some of the things that you did. The witches wouldn't come if you didn't do some of the things that you allegedly may have done. And I look at this whole situation, and I say, I don't blame him. And I'm, I'm going to sum it all up. And I think we all would sum it all up this way. I don't blame Alex Rodriguez for fighting this to the end. If I was Alex Rodriguez, I would fight this to the end. And I think if all of us were to be honest with ourselves, we would do the same thing. He has nothing to lose. He's a wounded animal. A wounded animal is a dangerous animal because, again, at that point, they have nothing to lose. He has nothing to lose. Suing everybody, doctors, MLB, Selick, everybody. Everybody he's suing. Maybe it goes somewhere, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it goes somewhere, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it changes things in the the court of public opinion. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't. But one thing is clear. One thing is is, is very clear. Alex Rodriguez is going to fight this to the end. I don't blame him. He's fighting for his career. Most of us, if we were put in the same position, would fight for our career. Now, again, if he's wrong, then maybe he shouldn't fight. If he's wrong, then maybe he should move on. Maybe he should move on. We'll see if it works. We'll see if it works. But if he's a fraud, I mean, uh, uh, we, we all know he admitted to juicing. His whole career essentially could be a fraudulent. Could be fraudulent. So I, I, I you know, you, you wonder. It's just time. Maybe it's just time to give this whole thing up. It's time to give this whole thing up, Alex Rodriguez. It's time to move on. I don't blame you for fighting it because I'm not sure I wouldn't do the same thing. But what I'm saying to you is, how long are you going to do this? How long are you going to fight this? How long are you going to keep this going? How long, how long, how long, how long? How long are you going to keep this going? I mean, the case could get thrown out. It could be nothing. It could be nothing. But this is his last ditch attempt to save himself, save his money. I don't think he can save his reputation. I think this is about money. Can't say his reputation. I think his reputation is already sullied and gone. 
his reputation is done. He's done in terms of that. This is about financial. This is about fighting to the end to save his money. I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him one bit at all. Second hour of Go For it starts right now. Underway in this hour, we're expected to be joined by one of the stars of Best Man, the Best Man Holiday, Atif Lanier. We're going to get his thoughts on that big time movie coming out November 15th. Looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to it. I love that movie. Love that movie. Love that movie. And I can't wait to see it, see it again. I can't wait to see it 15 years later. I'm looking forward to it. But we're going to talk to him about that movie, and then, you know, it's going to be a great movie. It's going to be great. You'll see. Can't wait. Let's go to baseball now, and let's stick with baseball. As we were talking about Alex Rodriguez, we're going to stick with baseball. I look at the playoffs now, and you know the the, the Rays. I mean, you know, yesterday they just blew up in that inning. Blew it up. Just blew up. Mistakes after mistakes, miscue after miscue. And one of the things about the Rays that coming into these playoffs, we talked about the Rays as one of those teams that don't hurt themselves. Don't give up don't give up extra outs. Don't give extra outs. They don't hurt themselves. They hurt themselves yesterday. They hurt themselves big time yesterday and it cost them. I mean it cost them. It cost them. That fourth inning where the game just got blown up, five-run fourth inning for the Rays. You know, you drop a third strike. <laughs> you know, you have ball falling in between players. I mean, you have all these things, all these things that go wrong for you as a team. All these things go wrong as a team. And, you know, you can't give up extra outs to good baseball teams. Good baseball teams, when you're at this level in the playoffs, you can't give extra outs to teams. You give extra outs to teams and bad things happen. Bad things happen when you give give up extra outs. Five runs happen. Five runs happen when you give up extra outs. And that's what the Rays did. They gave up extra outs. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it cost them. When you get to this level, you can't do that. You can't. You can't do that. They got a big game today. They got their ace. David Price on the mound. They got their ace, David Price, on the mound. They need to get it done today. 
You don't want to go back to Tampa down 2-0. I mean, it's happened before. Teams have come back from 2-0, but you don't want to do it. You don't, make a, you don't want to make a habit of doing things like that. This Rays team is tough, but you don't want to make a go down 2-0. And you look at this Rays team. You look how they, they got themselves into the playoffs, beating the Rangers, going to Texas. They got themselves to a division round, going to Cleveland, beating Cleveland, getting two big-time performances from Price and Cobb. And they got this far. They're a tough-minded team. They, I think they've shown us that. They've shown us that. They've shown us throughout the course of the year that they're not going to hurt themselves. They've shown us that as well. They've shown us, showed us, excuse me, all these things. This is a tough-minded team. And, you know, as, as I was thinking about it this week and, and thinking about who was going to go to the World Series and, Watching the Rays, how they, how they dominated Texas in Texas and how they dominated Cleveland in Cleveland. I'm saying to myself, you know what? This is a tough bunch. This is a tough-minded team. And I'm looking at, you know, the, the, the past and looking at the Cardinals a few years back and how how tough they were and how they were able to – Get into the playoffs and how they were, they beat went on went on a nice little run near the end of the season and how they were in the playoffs and they were were doing some of the things they were doing. I mean that was a, a never say time type of never say die type of baseball team and a team that was so tough minded. Now I'm not comparing the Rays to that Cardinals team. I'm not. But what I am saying is. I am saying this, and that was the 2011 Cardinals. What I am saying is this. Baseball is really not about who the best team is. It's about who's playing the best baseball. And we we look at even football over the years. It's not about who the best team is, who's playing the best football at the time. I like the Rays to get to the World Series. And I like the Rays to play the Dodgers in the World Series. Dodgers, another just tough-minded baseball team. And you look at the Dodgers and and, and look at some of the things that they've experienced in in terms of Ethier and and Kemp. Ethier's on the roster here, divisional round roster, but may not even play in this round, and Kemp is dumb for the playoffs. But then you have the whole thing with Quig, Yasiel Quig. He comes in, changes the whole culture of the Dodgers. And even early on in the season, we look at the Dodgers and everybody's talking about, oh, uh, Don Mattingly needs to go. Mattingly needs to go. You know, talking Mattingly needs to go talking. The Dodgers found a way to turn this thing around, and ultimately they just they just steamrolled the rest of the way. The Dodgers steamrolled the rest of the way. And they steamrolled their way into the playoffs, and ultimately they steamrolled their way by winning the, they won the division. I mean, they were just they just took they just took off. The Dodgers took off. They took off, and and taken off, they ultimately were able to get to the spot. And they won last night. No, they lost last night, but they beat uh, the Braves the other night. And now they're one one in that particular series, and that's going to be a big time series moving forward. The Dodgers have pitching. The Dodgers have Queeg. The Dodgers have that toughness 
that you love about this team. They're tough. They're tough. They're tough. And I think the Dodgers, with that toughness, with that roster, with that pitching, I think the Dodgers and the Rays. And I know, you know, you look at the the, the Texas, not the Texas, Detroit Tigers and everything, and the pitching that they have, Scherzer, Verlander, and, and that whole staff. You look at that whole staff with the Tigers, and you say to yourself, how is somebody going to beat that staff? How is somebody going to beat that team? It's going to take a team that's tough. It's going to take a tough-minded team to get by Verlander, Scherzer, Fisher. It's going to take a tough-minded baseball team. And I think the Rays have that toughness that you need to get by and to move forward and to move ahead and to ultimately win the World Series. It takes that toughness. I think the Rays have it. And I think the Rays, when it's all said and done, they finish the season hot, a hot baseball team, winning 11 of their final 15 games. They go into Cleveland, go into Texas, win those games. Nothing has stopped this team. This team is mentally tough. This is a mentally tough team. And I think that mental toughness will get them over moving forward. We'll see. We shall see. But the reality is this. You can't give up extra outs if you're going to win in the playoffs. You can't do it. Extra outs kill a baseball team. Extra outs kill a baseball team. You can't do it. Errors are like turnovers in football sometimes. And when you, you turn the football over and teams cash in on those turnovers, it hurts your football team. You can outplay a team in baseball, but errors can be the ultimate equalizer. You can outplay a team in football, but turnovers can be the ultimate equalizer. You can't do it. You can't do it and be successful in football with the turnovers. You can't do it in baseball with the errors. You can't do it. You're listening to Go Forward on Block Talk Radio. Okay. Hey, what up? It's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio with my man Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it. Thank you, sir. You got it, brother. Have a go, man. And we're back. And we're going to bring in a guy now who's who's going to be a part of a a big-time movie coming out in November, November 15th, to be exact, Best Man Holiday. You remember this movie from many years back. I mean, The Best Man was a big-time movie. I remember being in college and watching that movie and loving that movie. I mean, it was big time, and I never expected to see this again on any level. But we are going to see it again, and one of the guys who's a part of it is actor Atif Lanier. Atif, how are you, man? I'm good, and yourself? 
Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, sir. I really appreciate it. Atif, you're a Philly guy. I know you're an Eagles fan. You play semi-pro football as well. So you know a little bit about the sport. Eagles are 1-3 right now. They have the Giants coming up. How do you feel about the Eagles at this point? Well, I think the biggest thing is that um, the, the problem is that I think that the uh, college, that's a college offense. And when you have a college roster, you have like 90 guys on the squad. You can pretty much rotate a lot of people and pretty much remain fresh. But the problem is, is that in the pros, you've got a 53-man roster. The guys are older. Um, that's not going to work because you might score in 30 seconds, but next you know your defense is on the field. And you're wearing them down. And then what happens is that, you know, it's a different game from college. They say it's a grown man's game, and the schemes are different. Everybody's fast. Everybody's strong. And, unfortunately, we find the fast three weeks. Everybody's got hit to what he's doing. So you feel like at this point, moving forward with the Eagles, they're one and three, but here's the reality of the NFC East. Cowboys are two and two, but they have the Broncos tomorrow. So they lose tomorrow, they're two and three. Eagles win tomorrow, they're two and three. Guess what? They have an opportunity to win the NFCs. Do you see the Eagles? Oh, I've, I've been talking. I've been talking trash to all the people who um, fan NFC teams. You're exactly right. I see them and say, "Look, you know, as bad as Eagles are, they're still in the hunt for for the right. title, so, title." So, yeah. But I think the problem is, is that the old, excuse me, the old saying goes: "The market insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results." And I think that's one of the problems with Eagles now. I think they're starting to discover that um, maybe everything Chip Kelly thought we saw in that Redskins game is not necessarily going to work uh, throughout the NFL season. So so you don't believe that this system, based off the amount of players that the Eagles have, like you said, you made a great point, in college over 90 to 100 players here on the NFL, 53 players. Moving forward, long term, you don't think this type of offense and this type of fast-paced offense can win in the National Football League? No, I, I the best way I look at it was I was comparing it to remember when Steve Spurrier brought the fun and gun to the Redskins. Remember initially mm-hmm. how it was just like so dynamic, but then the difference is unfortunately the fun and gun lasted a little longer than um you know Chip Kelly's offense. It only lasted one game. That was I mean that I mean obviously it lasted as far as victory produced victory, but I mean it's it produced some high flying numbers. But the problem is is that like I, I've said before, if you're if you're having a defense in the field for too long like that, that's just going to basically that spells doom because especially. You know, the defensive backs. You run every play, and after a while, you leave them on an island like that, and it keeps happening over and over again. They're going to wear down, start breaking down, and obviously you start seeing that over and over again. It's not it's not uh, working. And, you know, the difference in college is that, you know, you might have three you may play a 12-game roster, but maybe six of those games are teams that are not to be calibered. NFL every week is the best of the best, and it's right. it's, it's, it's not going to it's not gonna last, Robert. I think that's one thing Chip Kelly is experiencing. He probably – was like, wow, it's too easy, but then he discovered it's not as easy as he thought it was. So I think there's some, some adjustments that might happen. If not, you know, this is a business. So find himself, uh, you know, with Lane Kiffin. I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Do they win this week against the Giants? I believe so. I think the Giants are in more disarray than the Eagles are. Um, I've actually shot a lot of sports commercials with the Giants. I like nice guys. I've been on the field with them. Uh, you know, I tease them with, about the Eagles, but I think the problem is um, – there's a lot more problems going on than it's just on that field. You know, obviously there's something else going on there, 0-4, and the last two weeks they've been uh, lambasted more or less by teams, and that shows you there's yeah. a whole lot going on. You don't get – I mean, two teams put up over 30 points on them in a very convincing way, and they've had turnovers. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So it's kind of like I, I don't see them winning. This is a battle in the basement more or less. I hate to say it like that. You know, turnpike battle is usually a very good battle, but right now both teams are very bad, so it's like a battle in the basement. 
I, I got to correct you on that. This is not the battle of the basement. The Eagles win tomorrow. <laughs> They'll be – you know the Cowboys are going to lose to the Broncos, so the Eagles win tomorrow. They could be in first place. So, yes, I know, theory, I know what you're saying. <laughs> I just think, unfortunately, you know, Philly and New York are such passionate sports teams, and usually sometimes coming in. Right. You know, with our teams, they're, they're usually um, – there's a lot. I mean, there is stuff, stuff riding. Let's not get twisted. There's still things riding. But usually, let's say they both came in and they were three and one. It'd be a whole lot more hype coming into the game as right, compared definitely. to zero and fourteen, as compared to one and three team. Obviously, somebody's gonna be a winner. Now, if the Eagles win tomorrow, it'd be great. And the Giants win, it's like, oh my gosh. But I believe the Eagles can win. I think the Giants are more disarrayed than the Eagles are. So I think that's definitely Eagles can win a victory tomorrow. That's just my prediction. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. I tend to agree with you. I think the Eagles will win as well tomorrow. Now, Atif, you're a part of an exciting project, The Best Man Holiday, coming to theaters November 15th. I remember watching this movie in college. I remember this in college, big-time movie. Loved it back then. Tell us about this project. Well, basically, I'm part of The Best Man uh, Holiday. You're right. Um, the, we are, I'm part of the, um, <laughs> once again, football, the um, the <laughs> The game se- there's, there's a game sequence that takes place in the movie okay. where uh, it's actually Lance's, uh, the Captain Lance's last game. So basically, I won't let give away too much, So, but um, I'm actually part of the Giants, you know, New York Giants. But don't worry, I wore my Eagles gear underneath there. Okay. But, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's basically, uh, you know, it's 15 years later, the friends have got together. They have, you know, they're all grown, obviously the more grown. Um, and different aspects of their life, have, um, you know, are going on. But the big thing with him is that, Obviously, he's towards the end of his career as a professional football player. He's supposed to be uh, his last game, and his last game he has his trials and tribulations um, of an NFL running back, obviously. There's some things right. going on within the game that, you know, I won't give you too much, but there's something going on in the game that he has to prove himself to uh, himself as well as his, us, his team, and his coach. And it's part of, um, you know, that's that's part of the uh, sequence. Like I said, uh, I met Mark Chestnut, very nice gentleman, um, you know, Big time fan. I was a big time fan since following Boys in the Hood, okay. and he actually joked about everybody when we were there on break. People were like, "Hey man, you know Boys in the Hood? You should have ducked down an alley. You should have cut." He was like, "You know what? In the past twenty years, he's I've heard this numerous times. Also, please remember it. It was just a movie. Everybody said, like, okay, you know, it's kind of like you know, they're having a serious debate, like with you know, with serious politics about what he should have did to live in Boys in the Hood. He was like, it's a movie, but yeah, there's and a what? lot. That's what I said. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I said that's that's. What part of the movie I was involved in, and like much like yourself, I loved the best man back then. And I think a blessing was I thought, you know, I never thought about part two. And when I had the opportunity to be part right. of this in any way, I said I won't be part of it because this is a very historic movie. You know, very, you know, it's a classic. You know, you know, it's a classic movie, a very classy. Yeah. You know, movie. I just wanted to be a part of it any way I could. And when I found out, I was like, Yo, I'm, I'm there. Let me know. We shot up in Buffalo. And how did this project come about for you? Well, like I stated, um, I used to uh, – I do a lot of sports commercials, primarily football. I do a lot of um, – okay. sometimes uh, some of the stunts and what have you. I've been doing that – oh, man, you're talking like since um, mid-2000s. I've done a lot of those. Well, anyway, another project I couldn't make, they had me in a database, and they sent an email, and they had you have to, you have to go to a tryout up in, um, up in Buffalo at uh, Bill Stadium. And basically okay. they selected a team. And once they selected a team um, – you know, it was us versus another NFL team. They, they they made two two teams, and over the course of a week, we shot it. So, was was it cold in Buffalo around that time? No, no, no. This was back in May. Okay. So it was about how does it is okay. now? And now, right. you know, it's funny you said that. First, I thought I was like Buffalo. I was like, oh gosh, I'm gonna be sitting there freezing behind all. But they were like, right. it's May. Trust me. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's um. It was definitely interesting. I mean, you know, much like any other NFL team or any city, they have a, a storied franchise and. I'm very passionate fans, and I'm just walking around um, 
you know, which was used to be called Rick Stadium, which is now Ralph Wilson Stadium. I just walked around and just remember those games I watched as a kid, you know, the Buffalo Bills and all those historic right. games. So it's pretty good. Met some good people, had a good time. And, um, you know, I met the other characters from the best man was there, the, uh, his friends. They they came there uh, one night. We were filming the uh, a game sequence, and um, they were there. We met them, too. Um, very cool guys. And like I said, this is the biggest thing. is like he has a lot going on off the field, but then there's things going on the field as well during this game that really um, he has to prove a lot to himself. Now, how is how was filming the game sequences? Well, basically what they do in a lot of these things, I've done a lot of these uh, things, what they do is that they script it. So what happens is that the difference is, so let's say, for example, you know, you're out on the street playing football or even you're playing organized football, you know, if somebody comes to tackle you, for example, let's say, you know, instinctively you're going to either try to run them over, run, you know, uh, you know, shake them or run out of bounds. The difference is it's scripted. So if you're coming, somebody's coming at you, you have to basically, you know, get hammered. You know what I mean? That's basically what it is. You know, you can't, that's part of the game. So basically they script them. So what happens is that you have designated plays. They might design these plays. And what happens is that you film these plays from various angles, um, you know, and, you know, that's how they feel various angles. And what happens is somebody like Morris Hipton, obviously he's not getting hit. Right. He has a stunt, he has a stunt uh, like a stand-in who's a stunt person who pretty much uh, does a lot of the activity. Um, you know, he does. He did some of it. I will say one thing. At one point in time, he did have him out there running 40 yards in the field, and everybody started clapping because he's like, wow, look at the old man go. He started laughing, you know what I'm saying, because he had to do that because, you know, he wanted to close up his face and everything. But that's how right. these things work. I've done a lot of those for different uh, sports uh, brands, you know, um, and that's how it is. You just have to pretty much they tell you that, but like beforehand, it's like you got some things that you learn. You know, playing sports you got to throw the window. It's kind of like you know, some of your reactions. You got to just say, "Hey, look, I'm about to get hammered or plastered," but it's just part of the flying here. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that's we're how talking IT. I'm sorry, we're talking IT. When they're one of the stars, the best man holiday It's coming out November 15th. Now, looking at this whole thing, now we we always look at the original, and we always look at the sequel. The sequel is never as good as the original. Will that be different this time around? You know what's funny? I don't think any movie ever, like you just stated, any sequel has been ever better than the first one. I think the first one is the original idea, and I think a lot of times the original idea, there's so much put into it. And I think also people with sequels, they're so hell-bent on the original that it's sometimes hard for them to see the sequel for itself. Because a lot of, let's say, for example, movies, I was looking at The Godfather, for example. The Godfather trilogy was great. Part one and part two were excellent. But all he said, part three was a good movie that could stand on its own, but compared to the trilogy, it wasn't strong as the rest of them. I think the problem is what's going to happen to The Best Man is that it's such an iconic movie that when people see the second you know, part two, they're going to keep comparing it to part one. I don't know if it's going to hold up to that because the director addressed that. He said people have already been asking him that. Or is it going to be as good as you think the first one is? Obviously, in his mind, he thinks it, thinks it is. But I think the public is going to have to make that determination. But I think that most times you're actually like sequels. I don't know any movie sequels better. I mean, unless I can really sit back and think, you know, but obviously every movie so far is the original because I think that's the original idea. You put all your ideas in that. Right. You know, that's, that's the gripping movie. Everybody loved the movie, especially the part, you know, where he found out his boy was sleeping with his, with, you know, mm-hmm. wife. It's like, oh, my gosh. How can you talk about right. I'm going to you can't. So I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. How did this all come about in terms of, of them bringing this movie back? Do you know how that all came about? Well, I know he um, he said it's something. He, you know, we've actually he, he talked about this. He said it was something he toured around with for a long time. I know he said he mentioned something like he never – he said he was very surprised at how how people responded to the first 
how people really, really gravitated and really, really loved him. I went to a um, year, here's something funny. Before I even meeting him, I went to a talk back with him uh, at a film festival uh, and at the American Black Film Time. He was talking about it. And he said that he was surprised at how people really, really took to that movie. They really, really took to it. And he said he gave him the concept and the idea that at some point in time he had to do a, a sequel. Now, when I met him years ago, you know, first time, he was just toying with it. And obviously, years later, he actually did it. But he said, one that he said, but, the, but just as a side note, initially making the best man, he said there was a lot of um, problems in getting things done because a movie of color, he said a lot of studios right. didn't understand it. There's certain things they wanted to eliminate that he thought were, like, really crazy. Like, even some of the wedding stuff, I think he said he wanted to cut the wedding out. He was like, but wow. it's about a wedding. You know what I mean? And he wanted more drama in the movie, you know, more neck snap and all that stuff. He said that wasn't, you know, what was needed. I think that's what people liked it. It showed young professional black people that were doing things right. themselves, and it wasn't like, you know, super, with, you know, a lot of drama. But he said he yeah, always right. had an idea. Once people, once people had, he really loved that movie, he said he just started to really always want to do a sequel. And obviously, I didn't see him, I mean, I didn't see him for a while, but then years later, I saw him. And then when I saw him on set in Buffalo, I said, sir, I actually went to a talk back to you once and heard you speak about it. He remembered that talk back. He said, exactly right. And I remember all the things he stated. And he said, well, I'm here. And he started laughing. He said, here, I definitely decided to write a sequel. And I actually saw him again after the movie in uh, Miami. This past uh, summer, I saw him in Miami. He was actually giving a talk about the movie, explaining everybody to go see it uh, when it comes out. Definitely. I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely going to see it November 15th, just like a lot of people now. You have the Best Man Holiday coming in November. What else is going on with Atif Lanier? Well, right now, right now I'm in the process now of producing my latest uh, short film. I actually filmed that um, the weekend of October 12th and 13th. What I'm doing is that taking one of our stage plays that we travel to colleges and universities with, and okay. we're turning it into we're taking a segment of a screenplay, and we're making it a short film. Um, that's right. been yeah. So it's, it's the name of the the feature length film is called If It Ain't Got That Swing. It's a it's a um, it's a 1940s piece. It's uh, the best way to describe it is a uh, Harlem Nights meets the Candyman. Um, you know, it's um, it's, a, it's been very successful as a stage play. So now we're going to turn it into a, you know, we're turning it into a screenplay and we're doing like I said a short as well. And uh, people really love it. So that's something I'm really looking forward to. And you know, I really find writing writing to be a very and that's 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 a niche. That's that's the thing that people really like. Much like the stadium, when you write something good, people really really like it. Mm. So you do you enjoy that more so than being in front of the camera? Actually, Carol, you have to understand something. Uh, you have to be able to do both. What I mean by that is okay. that, you know, first of all, as a person of color, you there's only so many roles for for black actors. Let's be honest. You know, you might have a film come out, and let's say there's let's say for example there's 50 roles in a movie, just hypothetically. Of those 50 roles, how many do you think will be black? A five, and then how many black actors are there? Like a thousand? Right. You know, per per square foot. So what happens is that you've got to get to the point and realize that in addition to just acting, you must say, look, I've got to be able to move myself along. And in doing so, I have did a lot of uh, writing and producing my own short films, my own uh, plays. Those have really got me further along. They've also got me opportunities in front of the camera. Where somebody might say, can you play it once you be in my film? I was like, oh, okay. You know? And also, people respect this one thing. Think about it. You know, you have a radio show. You know, it's one thing where you say somebody hired me on your show. I mean, hired me to be part of your show. But when you come to somebody's type of show already, you're like, oh, wow, this guy's already got the whole thing in moving. Your, your car's already moving, you know? Right. It's like sometimes acting walking on the street with a tire. You're looking for the other four, ti- other three tires and a chassis to make a car. You know, would you, would you, would you run a ride from that guy or the guy who pulled up in the car and said, get in? You know what I mean? It's like, I'm like, hey. So that's, it's the same thing. So I, I think there's things I enjoy about both. Definitely, definitely. Now, 
I was on your website, atiplanier.com. I see you're a big-time fitness guy. Any tips right. for us today? We, do, we, do, we, do you have a tip for us today? Um, there's more in fitness than just exercise. It's diet and exercise. I think people sometimes don't get those two. They, they confuse that. They think just you do if you work out. You know, that's it. But you have to have a diet as well. And for those of you who want to go to my website, I just do a shameless plug. It's uh, atiflanier.com. That's A-T-I-F-L-A-N-I-E-R.com. But, yeah, I think those are two big things because, you know, a healthy diet can help you along the way. It, it was with combination exercise. I think people, you know, I have friends of mine who used to, you know, grind out like 90 minutes at the gym and then go eat cheesesteaks and fries. Like, why bother? <laughs> you just negate everything you've done. That's, I, you know, right. that's the biggest tip I give people all the time. So, yeah. Now you're you're a Temple guy. I'm a Temple guy, so we got a little something in common there. You never did tried you know, out for Temple football? For a little bit, yes, I did. Okay, okay, yes, I did. But at times, you know, my roommate was on scholarship. He was like, "Just give it a whirl," and I was like, "All right." So, but I wanted to play defense, but at the time I was much smaller, so I was I walk on for a little bit. So they right. put me on offense, right. but I walked a little bit. Yes, but he was on scholarship. He was like, "Give it a whirl." So then after that, I played. That's when I started doing um, my pro. All right, all right, all right. Now, how close were you to actually, if anything, getting an opportunity on the NFL level? I mean, how much uh, did you really have a legitimate shot at anything professional? Um, I don't, I don't think so. No, it's like I think at high like I said, the high school football team was like semi-pro. I know a couple guys that I played with played in the arena league. Not saying that's about okay. it. Now, what I discover is this. I've done a lot of NFL, a lot of NFL shoots, a lot of NFL players. The thing about it is, you know, the NFL is a business, and I've discovered that by just doing a lot of these shoots and being around these guys, on the field with them, locker rooms, what have you. It's a business, and what it boils down right. to is like any other business in life. It's about those who know how. So there might be a lot of guys who are six three, two hundred thirty, two hundred forty pounds walking around, and you know, you got the NFL, whatever. But the thing about it is, it's like any other job. Can you? bring those intangibles all together, you know, for like any other job. Think, you know, think about right. it. You might be good with numbers as an accountant or have you, but, I mean, you know, you with numbers, but somebody puts you in an accounting firm, can you be that person in an accounting firm? It's the same difference in the NFL. It's that mental thing like, look, how can, you know, how can I, you know, how can you bring it all together, rope it all in, and be that person? And that's what I've discovered in, with those guys and talking with them one-on-one. And also, you know, you also discover that, and, you know, football takes a toll on your body. So some people... Yeah. You know, physically just can't hold up. So you see a guy like Ray Lewis who played 17 years as a linebacker, that's amazing. I mean, definitely. Because, definitely. I mean, think about it. That's amazing. But it's kind of like, that's what I discovered. It's definitely a business, and there's more to it than just physical talent. Anything in life is about anybody who really works hard at doing it. You know, somebody will tell you over, like Will Smith always says, he might not be the best actor, but he's not gonna, you're not going to outwork him. It's the same thing. There's lots of people who do plenty of good things. So that's what I discovered in doing that. So it's like when guys like, wow, you was out there on the field with the Giants or you was on the field, you know, with the, uh, with the Falcons and all that stuff. Like, yeah, I was on the field with these guys. You know what I'm saying? And they was like, well, what was it like? I was like, yo, I mean, yeah, you know, catch is strong and fast, yeah. But the thing about it, at the same time, it's also like when you start, you're like, I, you're like yo, I know a dude much faster than him. I know a dude way stronger than him. You know what I mean? But the thing about it is they're not there for a reason. Right. It's like and that's the big part. Right, maybe upstairs in their in in their mind, that strength and that speed couldn't bring it all together. You know right. what I mean? And that's basically what happened. So like a lot of these, like I've done a lot of these sports things, and like it's great because it's kind of like you know you get to bang around with people for a while, but then after that, it's like you know sometimes I say, wow, I'm glad I was a dude for it. I'm glad I was a living because you know sometimes it's doing it for like 
a week straight, your body's like on fire. Then you kind of like, well, imagine a guy who does this 16, for 16 weeks. And I mean, yeah, that's... you're like, geez, have mercy. You know what I mean? Kind of like, thank God I'm only doing weeks. It. 16 yeah, weeks, yeah, say, yeah, for 10, I'm, I'm going to do it for a week. These guys over 16 weeks. God bless them. Right. You know, so I think what right. happens, you know, yeah, so I think for me, what I discovered in doing that, a lot of people like you, wow, that's great. I've been so thankful. I've met a lot of these, you know, you know, been a lot of these NFL things. It's great. But at the same time, you say to yourself, like, I really discovered, like I said, the business aspect as well as the physical toll takes your body. And also, like you said, I've seen some people, like, later. Like, even like, even like doing the best man. We've seen guys out there who got hurt. Like, the one dude out there, you know, he was fine. The very next play, you know, they was parting them off. Wow. That's it. You know what I mean? It, it's, I mean, you know, so it, it, it was legitimate good. contact like that? Like I'm trying to tell you, these things, when you, when you do these things, I'll give you an example. I did a commercial years ago for Powerade. Okay, it never came out because it got canceled. I'm not going to mention NFL person was with, because of his behavior, they canceled the commercial. Basically, the play mm-hmm. in, uh, entailed me blocking him, okay? Okay. But like they explained to every to every play was the same thing over here at an angle. The, the play call for me to come, you know, hit the linebacker and just level him. That's all, but he, he couldn't do anything. That's it. He just sit up, break stuff, and get level. Now imagine doing that four hours over and over in various angles. That's the contact you get. So by the okay. end of the day, his chest is red, my neck is sore, but that's what you have to do. That's how those commercials work. So that's why when they say to you, when you do these things, they say, number one, do you have the football experience? Number two, are you physically in shape to do that? Because some mm-hmm. people aren't physically in shape to do that. You know, you, you're sitting there, you know, you, 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 and like I said, the difference is also these guys, when you do this these guys, these aren't like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty fast. I got good speaking strength. So it's not somebody who's, like, out of shape. Like, I'm 235 pounds. So you got a 235-pound man run at you with a full head of steam. That's not, you know what I'm saying, that's not an easy thing to take. You feel I me? Mean? So it's not no, like this is, this is these things that happen. So when you say legitimate contact, yes, it's legitimate contact. That's why they build these, they have to build a team. They say, look, we're going to need two teams. We're going to need, like, 35, 40 guys. Because trust me, 35, 40 guys might not make it. Everybody's not going to make it in a week. You know, that really happens. Wow, wow. I mean, it's it's very interesting, very interesting. I mean, yeah, you know, I, you know they're like, they're like, oh, what y'all, what y'all do out there? Like, the first thing somebody says is, y'all hitting? Some commercials are not hitting, but some of the commercials, I mean, some of those, those shoots, some of those shoots are not hitting. You might be doing light plays, you might do light contact, but some of those plays, they'll tell you beforehand, this is full contact. So you got to right. strap, strap it on. you got a mouthpiece, put it in. You're going to need it. And trust me, like I said, that first <laughs> I did for Powerade, it was like every every play I had a 10-yard head of steam. As soon as the linebacker, you know, the line scrimmage, I just leveled him every time. But that was the play. The director said, you got to put him on his ass every time. And that's what right. I had to do. Wow. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like after, like, think about that. You're doing that for four hours. And after a while, you know, you, you get a break. When I came home, like, you know, my, my shoulders were sore as I don't know what. Right. Now, that's a 240-pound man. I'm hitting a 240-pound man with a head of steam. He's hitting me with a head of steam. But I have to level him. That's the thing. I had to level him. I mean, he, I, he was airborne every time. You know what I mean? Wow. But that's how it had to be. Definitely. We're talking to one of the stars of Best Man Holiday, Atif Lanier. And Atif, you're on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? Yes, they can connect with me at Atif Lanier. I mean, what is Lanier? Yeah, Atif Lanier. That's my name on Twitter. I'm sorry. I'm about to say my website. <laughs> yeah, at Atif Lanier. Or you can find me on Facebook. You can find me at um, um, my sec- my first page is Max Dow. My second page is my name, Atif Hamaghetto Lanier. That's A-T-I-F-H-A-R-M-A-G-E-D-D-O. Veneer, or, we can, or my website, atfaneer.com. Either way, connect, and, um, you know, let's talk. But like I said, as a, as a guy who's out here spreading the positive vibes through, uh, you know, through, state, through uh, film and theater. <clears throat> as well as that. Definitely. 
Atif, it was a pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing oh, but the best. Me. I greatly appreciate movie. you, um, you know, contact me. I'm, I'm more than flattered. Definitely. Nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Nothing but the best of luck with this movie. Let's do it again. All right, sir. Take care. Take care. Atif Lanier, one of the stars of best, The Best Man Holiday, coming to theaters November 15th. Check it out. Should be a great, great movie. A guy who, who is not really having a good time right now. A guy who's a little angry. Not angry, but maybe he's angry. But he's definitely not happy. Lane Kiffin. I mean, this guy fired by USC. And he was fired Sunday morning. Sunday morning. So he got beat up by Arizona State, 62-41. to and then hours after the game, when the team arrived in L.A. at 3 a.m., he was uh, someone came in and said, you know what, Lane? You got to come off the bus. You got to come off the bus. He was prepared to go back to campus. He was prepared to, to look at film and, and prepare. But they said, you know what, Lane? You got to come off the bus. You got to come off the bus. And, you know, ultimately, Lane Kiffin was fired. Fired. Three o'clock in the morning, fired. Now, I, I, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with them firing Lane Kiffin. He really didn't have a lot of success over the years. A lot of people were calling for his head last season. He's three and two thus, thus far this season. A lot of people wanted him gone. A lot of people wanted him gone. and But at the same time, you know, I can understand firing him. But if you're going to fire a guy, what, five games into the season, you probably should never even brought him back because you already had intentions of getting rid of this guy. So if you already had intentions of getting rid of this guy, it didn't really make much sense to bring him back to begin with. That did not make much sense. It doesn't make you. You've had intentions already. It was already in your head, already in your mind, that you were going to fire this guy. You know it. You know it. You knew that you had intentions of firing this guy. You knew you didn't want him back. If you're firing him. Three o'clock in the morning after five games. You didn't want him back. That's obvious. So if you didn't want him back to begin with, why did you bring him back? Well, I mean, I mean, if you're going to fire him after five games, why would you bring him back after last season? It does not make much sense. Obviously, you had intentions of firing this guy. After five games, you had intentions of firing this guy if you fired him at 3 o'clock in the morning after five games. You did not want him back. You didn't want him back. You did. So why bring him back? Made no sense whatsoever. Made no sense. To bring him back, and I don't have a problem with firing the guy. I mean, you, you know, you fire him, you fire him. You don't want him anymore. You don't want him anymore. Let the man give, have a little dignity. You know, let him get off the team bus. Let him get a little sleep. 
didn't inform him in the morning of what you plan on doing. Don't 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 summon him off the team bus three o'clock in the morning and say, you know what, your services are no longer needed. That's not what you should do. That's not how you should handle it. That's not how you should handle it. Let the man go with a little dignity. Again, I don't have a problem with you firing him. It is what it is. You don't think he's doing the job, you gotta get rid of him. But I do think if you felt like this after if you felt like this last season, obviously you did because you fired him five games into the season at three o'clock in the morning. Obviously, obviously, obviously you really were none too happy with this guy. And obviously your intent wasn't really to give him an opportunity to finish out this season. I mean, it, it didn't make sense. It, it, you don't bring a guy on or back and fire him after th- five games in the season. It doesn't make sense. You should have moved on from him last season. That's what you should have did. didn't make sense to bring him back. You should have moved on before you brought him back so you wouldn't have to worry about doing what you did and, and having your team in a state of flux five games into the season. It doesn't make sense does not make sense. And I want to go to the NBA now. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is coming out against Dwight Howard. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar coming out against Dwight Howard. Criticized Dwight Howard this week. Criticized him big time. Criticized him. And, you know, he doesn't really think Dwight Howard is a smart player, does not believe Dwight Howard. You know, he, he talked about how he, when he prepared Lakers centers to play Dwight Howard back in 2009 for the NBA Finals, he told them that they didn't really have to do much because Dwight Howard did not have a lot of post moves. He did not have a lot to offer. And, and you know, truth be told, Dwight Howard in the post is kind of a raw player. I mean, offensively, still a little crude as an offensive player. He is. He's a little, you know, he, he's polished a little bit. He polished, It's polished a little bit, but it's not where it needs to be for him. And I'm not going to – let me stop for a second. You know, it, it needs to get better, I think. But, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came out and said Dwight's basketball IQ is not up to speed for him to be a dominant player. His basketball IQ is not up to speed for him to be a dominant player. So I guess he's stupid on the basketball court. Kareem said the White's an extraordinary athlete and has incredible athletic ability. But basketball is a game where the most important muscle that you use on the court is the one between your ears, which is your brain. He doesn't believe Dwight Howard is smart enough. He doesn't believe Dwight Howard has the basketball IQ, the mental acumen if you will, on the basketball court to be successful. He doesn't believe that. He doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. Doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. He doesn't believe he has what it takes mentally to have the success, to have the, the to be a dominant player. Well, I, I, w- I would disagree with Cream on some level because you can argue that Dwight Howard has been fairly dominant throughout the course of his career. You could argue that one of the reasons the Orlando Magic got to the NBA Finals was because of the dominant play of Dwight Howard. 
You, you, you have to look at it. You know, and I think also you have to look at it this way. If Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was tutoring and mentoring Dwight Howard, you think he would come at him this way? Probably not. Because if he had a little stake in it, if he was one of the guys mentoring and, and, and working out with Dwight Howard, you think he would say these type of things? I don't think he would. So you, you have to question Kareem on some level. Because if Dwight Howard was working out with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, if Dwight Howard was working out with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, you know he wouldn't be saying some of the things that he's saying. You know it. And Dwight Howard came back at him. I mean, he didn't come back at him hard, but he came back at him. He said, quote, you can't win three defensive player of the year trophies and be stupid. That can't be done. And I don't think any coach that has ever coached me has said I have a low low IQ for basketball. He went on to say, I've I've done some dumb stuff on the floor, yes. Every player has. I've done some stupid things in life, yes, it's life. We all make mistakes, learn from them. It is what it is. I think I'm very intelligent when it comes to the game of basketball. I have been playing since I was three years old. Each year, I get a little smarter. Those are Dwight Howard's words. Those are Dwight Howard. And, and, you know, going back here with Kareem, I don't think he can necessarily win. I don't think he necessarily win. And then also Dwight Howard went on to say, quote, when I joined the Lakers, I was the greatest center. When I left, I was the worst. And to me, you know, he has a point there. He has a point there. But, I, I again, I, I look at this whole thing with, with Dwight Howard and, and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I just say to myself, if this, let's just say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was Hakeem Olajuwon and was working out with Dwight Howard in the offseason. Let's just say that was the case. Do you think Dwight Howard, do you think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would say these things about Dwight Howard? Probably not. So you, you have to question where it's coming from. You, you have to question where it's coming from. You have to question... I'm not sure what's going on. But I will say this. You have to question. You have to question Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, I'm not questioning his integrity. But what I'm saying is it doesn't seem like it's coming from a good place. There seems to be a little more to it than what he is saying. And, again, if Dwight, if Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had a stake in Dwight Howard – Meaning, if Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, if Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was playing, or excuse me, training Dwight Howard, I don't think, I don't think he would be coming at him this way. Just don't. Just my opinion. But I don't see. I think Kareem, the sour grapes, maybe. Rotten apples, possibly. But I just don't think, you know, He's coming from a good place. Just my opinion. Staying in the National Basketball Association, Russell Westbrook, he's going to be out four to six weeks for the Oklahoma City Thunder to start the season. That's bad news. That's very bad news for this for this team. I mean, it was Durant, it was Westbrook. When you thought about OKC, it was Durant and Westbrook and also Harden at one point. But now, now, with Westbrook out four to six weeks, 
four to six weeks could be an issue because you're missing that that scoring. You're missing that scoring. Also, remember the guy that they brought in for the James Harden trade, Kevin Martin. Well, he's gone. He's off to Minnesota. He's gone. Should be interesting to see how what kind of start OKC gets off to. Should be very interesting because you know you're missing some scoring, and obviously they weren't able to replace that scoring last season in the playoffs. They were not able to replace that scoring last season in the playoffs. They weren't. They weren't able to do it. And it's going to be difficult for them to start the season without this guy. It's going to be very difficult to start the season without him. It's Westbrook and it's Durant. You miss one of those two, this team becomes ordinary. You have them on the court together, you're talking about a team that has the possibility to win a championship. Separate, they're ordinary this team. Together, they can be special. They can be very special. But we'll see. We'll see, but it's going to be difficult. Derek Rose. Derek Rose will be playing in the preseason Saturday. He's turning he's returning Saturday. Today. He's coming back today. 12 to 24 minutes he's expected to play. I mean, we haven't seen Derrick Rose in a long time. Last time we saw Derrick Rose was in a suit. But last time we saw him on the court was the end of the game against the, uh, the, end of the, game against the, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers when he tore his ACL in that game. Changed the whole course of the playoffs in that season, and it changed the course of the, uh, the Bulls for the past two seasons. The end of the playoff, end of that playoff season against the Sixers, where ultimately they would lose. And then the whole following year where Derrick Rose just set out, didn't feel mentally ready to come on back, didn't feel ready to come back. But I, it should be interesting how Derrick Rose plays this season. It should be interesting what he how he plays tonight. It should be interesting. Can you believe basketball's back? Hockey's already started. Basketball's in the preseason. See like yesterday the season just ended. See like yesterday we were talking about LeBron and then Ray Allen hitting that three against the Spurs in game six. It seemed like yesterday. But Derrick Rose is back. He's back. And I think, you know, Derrick Rose coming back, obviously it changes the course of the Bulls' season. Obviously it makes the Bulls formidable. Obviously it makes the Bulls championship contenders. And I think Derrick Rose is a guy who's coming back, and I think he's going to come back with a chip on his shoulder because of the doubters, because of all the people talking about him not rushing back. I don't say not rushing back, but just not coming back. But I think it all goes back to the AP syndrome. Adrian Peterson, that's stuff for everybody, folks. Everybody believes that if you tear your ACL, you should come back right away and just be dominant. It should be better. I mean, Adrian Peterson did that. We, we, we got the same kind of expectations for RG3. We expect him to miss a whole preseason, come on back, 
and coming off reconstructive surgery, come on back and have success. That's a lot to ask from someone and somebody. But we expect it. We demand it sometimes. It doesn't happen. Let's go to the NFL now. Brian Hoyer of the Cleveland Browns out for the year, torn ACL. Cleveland Browns, this team started off 0-2, won three games in a row. This team was left left for dead. Traded their best running back in Trent Richardson, and they were left for dead. We we were we were turning the page on the Cleveland Browns. We were talking about them being in the Teddy Bridgewater sweepstakes, in the Taj Boyd sweepstakes, the Marcus Mariotti sweepstakes, all the you know all these Johnny Menzel sweepstakes. We expected them to be heading for tank mode and, and putting themselves in position to get themselves a quarterback moving forward. But Brian Horror came off the bench against the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota, got the W. Jordan Cameron was big in that particular game. Then he comes back, gets the start against the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati. Brian Hoyer, uh, impressive again, decent against the Bengals. Ultimately, their defense stepped up as well, held the Bengals to six points, and they won that game 17-6. And then Thursday night football, national television audience, Brian Hoyer, an Ohio boy, an opportunity to be home again, this time national TV, Thursday night football. And he comes out. Tries to go in for a little slide, and he's hit by Kiko Alonso, and ultimately he tore his ACL. Now he's done for the year. Old man Brandon Whedon steps back in. Brandon Whedon comes on in, has a place decent, plays decent, but obviously you don't. The, the Browns don't believe in him and don't believe that he is their quarterback of the future. I don't think they do believe that. I don't think and there's been whispers out there that they don't believe that to be the case. So I look at the whole situation and I say to myself, Cleveland. Cleveland, Cleveland. They're kind of hurting themselves in some respect if they continue to play this way. They're 3-2 and two on top of the AFC North. Could you believe it? Can you believe it? Especially after starting off their 0-2. Can you believe it? That the Cleveland Browns are 3-2. and two. We'll see. A lot of football to be played. A whole a lot of football to be played. A lot of football to be played. And if the Cleveland Browns can find a way to keep this going, Maybe it messes up their plan for the future, their plan of of getting themselves a better quarterback, a new quarterback, their plan of just reshaping their roster. Maybe this plan has been foiled. Maybe this plan has been messed up, jacked up, because of the play of this team and how they've come back from dead, 3-2, and on top of the AFC North. Let's look at their schedule moving forward. Let's see where they can be. They got Detroit at Green Bay, at Kansas City, and Baltimore. So the next four weeks will tell us all we need to know about the Cleveland Browns. Home to Detroit, at Green Bay, at Kansas City, home to Baltimore, and then week 11 at Cincinnati. So the next five weeks will tell us all we need to know about the Cleveland Browns. They'll tell us how real this team is. Detroit at home, at Green Bay, at Kansas City, Baltimore at home, and then at Cincinnati. That should tell us all we need to know about the Cleveland Browns. Going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Josh Freeman, they finally released him. It's turmoil in Tampa Bay right now. Uh, Reports of surveillance on the sidelines, seeing who's all in, who's laughing, who's not taking things seriously. I mean, it's you know, Mod Black got released this week. They released Kevin Ogletree. I mean, this team is just releasing and, and, and just 
turning everything over and seems to be turmoil there in Tampa to Mike Lennon, the starter. And this team finds a way to lose in the end. I mean, last week against St. Uh, not St. Louis, Arizona, the Cardinals, they were in control. Glennon throws a big interception. Ultimately, the Cardinals would get him at the end. Obviously, we saw the first game against the Jets where the linebacker, uh, David, pushes Geno Smith out of bounds, called for a 15-yard penalty. Ultimately, they would lose that game. Against the New Orleans Saints, they were in control. Not control, but they were competitive, winning the game. Down the stretch there, the Saints would get a field goal, nip them at the end. I mean, this team has been competitive. This team has been in a lot of football games. This team is all four and easily could be three and one, but that's the thing about the NFL. So close. So it comes down to so many, uh, a, a small sample size of plays that can determine a whole football game. And a lot of teams can say, you know what, we're this play and that play away from being three and zero, oh, three and two, or not three and two. You can't be three and two until tomorrow, but three and zero, oh, four and zero, oh, you know, two and two. We're we're a few plays away. We're a few plays away. A lot of teams can say that, but the reality is, you're not. As the great Bill Parcells once said, you are what you are. And they are what they are, 0-4, and And a team that seems to be in turmoil. Maybe Greg Schiano will last this season. Maybe he won't. If they believe in his program, the team, then maybe he'll stick around. If if ownership believes in, in the general manager, Mark Dominic, if they believe that he can be and, and turn this thing around, they're going to stick with him. And, and maybe they'll give him an opportunity. Maybe they won't. But this does seem like a team in turmoil. Freeman finally gets released, and I think he's fortunate fortunate for him to get another opportunity. Obviously, this particular coaching staff didn't believe in him. This organization didn't believe in him pretty much. And where does he go? Cleveland. Obviously, they're in the market for a quarterback, but reports are they're not interested in Freeman. Raiders, I think they should be in a market for a quarterback. We'll see if they have interest. The Jets, you could argue. You have to know how they feel about Geno Smith, but maybe they are in. They are in the market for a quarterback. Maybe. Maybe they're in the market for a quarterback. I mean, you just look around the league. Maybe the Vikings. The Viking quarterback situation is a little unsettled. Christian Ponder, he's hurt, but Matt Castle came in, had an impressive performance to beat the Seals. But maybe the Vikings are a team that may have a level of interest in Josh Freeman. Just looking around the league, who else would have interest in Josh Freeman? Maybe Arizona. I mean, Carson Palmer, you know, the Cardinals are 2-2. Two and two. How much good football does Carson Palmer really have left throughout the course of the season and moving forward, obviously? I mean, so there are teams, like I said, I said the Raiders before as well. Tennessee with Locker being out possibly four to eight weeks. They may have some interest in Josh Freeman. So there are teams that may have interest in this guy, and there's teams you could argue that probably should have interest in this guy, but I don't know how good Josh Freeman really is. I mean, he got off to a tremendous start in his career, but I, I don't know how much good football he has in him. I don't know how good he truly is. I mean, you know, he had a big-time year, 27-17 and 17 last season, but he didn't really finish strong, and then you look at also the start of this season, forty about forty five percent completion percentage to start this season. You know, that that's Tebow land. Now you're talking down Tebow land. So, you know, Josh Freeman is a guy that I think he's going to get another opportunity. But I don't know how I don't know where he stands in terms of being a franchise guy. Not sure he is at this point, but maybe it'll take a change of scenery. 
Maybe it'll take a different coach, a different idea, different philosophy, different scheme to bring the best out of him. We shall see. I want to thank Corey Redding for stopping by the Indianapolis Colts. Go to us, uh, you know, make sure you follow him on Twitter, CRed90, and support some of the great things he's doing with the Corey Redding Foundation. Also, I want to thank Atif Lanier, actor, one of the stars of The Best Man Holiday. Thank him for stopping by. Follow him on Twitter, Atif Lanier, at Atif Lanier. Can't even talk. At Atif Lanier. You can listen to this show and other great shows, Blog Talk Radio dot com slash pgan where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow on Twitter at go for it. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great day. See you later. Take care. Bye. <laughs>